just a bit of background to Joel. Um, God's people are under judgment from the Lord himself. And in chapter 2, they've rendered their hearts. They've done outward things for God. They've been religious in t- certain things, but their hearts haven't turned to God. I think it's always important to realize that God is, a- God is after you. He is after our hearts. And he always wants our hearts. And here in Joel, he reminds his people that he wants them and he wants their hearts. He's not looking for religion that you go through the motions. He wants you. Is that not the same with any relationship we have in life? I do not want my wife's duty to me. I want her love and I want her love from her heart. I do not want my friend's duty to me. I want her love and I want her heart. And so God in Joel is calling his people back to himself. And he asked them to render their heart. And they have repented and turned back to God. And here we see in chapter 2, God pours out his grace to a sinful people. And we are not all sinful people this morning. That's that, cunt. We have a better pulpit in um, glory. We have a wooden structure. Yeah, that we can't break. And I do hope my notes are in order or not. So I'm going to have to, um, I'll fix them in a minute. So that's, that's okay. So, Joel chapter 2, verse 28. And really 28 to 32, it really starts in verse 18 to um, 27, where God has poured out his, his physical blessings onto Israel. But he says he also wants a spiritual blessing and he also has a word for them in the future. And in verse 28 it says, Afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show the wonders in the heavens and on the earth. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will turn to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of that great and dreadful day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be a deliverance, as the Lord says, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And I do thank you for the gathering of your people. I thank you for these three churches. I thank it's already been a blessing and encouragement just to hear the sound of your name being praised, Lord. The volume, the noise of it, Lord, has been wonderful to our ears. And we pray, Lord, that you would take your word, that you would take it from our ears, that it wouldn't pass through one ear and out the other ear, but it would go through one ear and would go down into our hearts, Lord, I pray. And your word would be, we would be captivated by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me just realign these. Okay, so um, this doesn't normally happen in Gory, as I say. We have a better pulpit. So if there's any carpenters here in um, in Escorty, you might want to build a little wooden pulpit for for the preacher. Okay, then. I don't know about you, but life seems to revolve around food. Life always seems better when we have a full belly. One of the signs that we made in life is that we're able to eat out a lot, especially those nice restaurants. 
I only once ate in one of the fancy restaurants. I once ate in a Michelin star restaurant and the food was to die for. It was just what they did with food and I felt it was nice to see how the other half live. I don't know if you have teenagers in your house, but I'm sure if you have teenagers in your house, this song repeats around the echoes of the wall. Mom, is there any food in the house? As they stare into the fridge and the light up, Mom, where's the food? Is there any food in the house? And you know in our world sometimes, if we're feeling a bit down or depressed, we love to comfort us. Life seems to be good when we have food or our physical needs are met. And here we've seen in Joel that God has restored Israel's for He's restored their food to them. But Joel is also warning them that there's more to life than full bellies and there's more to life than our physical needs. Yes, we need to be thankful for God's provision. Like Judah who had seen God return their food, God had healed our barren land. Their land was again flowing with wine, oil and corn. And to a people who had very little, it must have seemed like heaven. And in Ireland today, we had the Celtic tiger. And it seems as if the Celtic tiger is on its way back, that the Irish lands will flow again with milk and honey. But I wonder, but Joel wants us to stop. And he wants us to remind us of three things, that there's more to life than our physical foods and So Joel reminds us to continue to seek God. Because what happens in life is, when things go well, we forget about God and our need of God. How many times have you heard people cry out to God in their desperate situation? When they said, God, if you only take me out of this, I will return to you. And And God takes them out and blesses them again. But then they forget to return to God. And Joel is reminding Judah, Israel, that now that God has blessed them again, that their true blessing is found in the Lord God himself. That not to love the gifts, but to be in love with the giver. And to continue to follow him. So Joel reminds us three truths in the future to help us to continue with God. The first one is, God will dwell with us, in us all. Verse 28 says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. You know, to the years of Joel's congregation at that time, that would have been a tremendous encouragement. Because in that day, God's spirit dwelt in the temple, or he dwelt only in special people. He dwelt only in the prophets, in Elijah or Elisha. He dwelt only in the high priest like Aaron. He dwelt only in kings like David. But Joel is saying that a day is coming and I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In other words, there's more to come. Continue with God. Continue to hold on to him. There's blessings to come. You know, even in Moses' day, Moses longed for this day. He longed for this day. Even Moses, that great prophet, was frustrated in his day. He longed that everyone, that God would pour out his spirit on all people. We see that in Numbers 11:29. I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets, 
that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And so really the surprise of this is, did Joel really say all people? Is it really for everyone? The ordinary people? And so that they didn't misunderstand, Joel explains what he means by all people. He says there is no barrier, no sex barrier, male and female. No age barrier, young and old. One of the things that encouraged me this morning, I was just saying that what's, each church has its own little, is different. We're not clones of each other. And what I loved about the Enniscorthy Church this morning, what I'm jealous of, you have so many young people. And to see so many young people at the front was such an encouragement. And here God says he's going to pour out his spirit on the old and the young. And there's no class barrier. It means servant and free. I don't know if you're ever in that position where you, you had to be picked for a team. It's not like being picked for a team where some get left out. Know what God is saying to Joel that there come a day when all will play and all are in. Look what he says. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. And even on the male and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit. So what does this day consist of? It says prophecy, dreams and visions. So what does that mean? Well, it's Old Testament language. And it means that we want to know what that means if you ask this question of ourselves. Who had dreams and visions in the Old Testament? Well, Numbers 12, 6 answers that. Listen to my words. When the prophet of the Lord is among you, I will reveal myself to him in visions and I will speak to him in dreams. So what was the purpose of God speaking to his prophets? That they would bring the word of God to people. That they would bring his message. They would bring his message to the people. So what is Joel saying? That there's coming day when all people will know and understand the message of God. We see this being fulfilled in the day of Pentecost. In Acts 2, 17-21, when Peter said that the Spirit being poured out on disciples was the very thing which Joel spoke of here. What happened in, in the day of Pentecost is that they began to understand more clearly who Jesus Christ. They began to understand the message of God. If you know the Gospels, you'll see that the disciples struggled all along to understand who Jesus was. They were trying to figure him out as they were going along. And more and more they began to understand him. And yet we get to the end of the Gospels and we get to the end of Acts chapter 1 and we see they are frightened They are hiding. They are in a room and they are scared of people because they don't fully understand yet the meaning of the death of Jesus Christ. They're wondering, why is my Jesus died? I thought he was the one. They're not fully understanding. And then what happens? In Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God was poured out on them, all the disciples, and they began to understand the reasons for Jesus' death. And why it was so important for Jesus to die. 
And they began to understand that the message of God was wrapped up in a person. It was wrapped up in Jesus Christ. So that when Peter preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost, and people asked him what we shall do, he said, repent and be baptized, everyone new, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So why did God pour out his spirit in all people? So they would understand who Jesus Christ is. That they would understand the message of why he died on the cross. And that they would be able to speak about Jesus to others. So in a sense, this morning, and I want to say this so you understand it, in a sense we are all prophets in a small p. Not in the big P like the Old Testament, not like Moses, not like Elijah, who God had specific jobs for. But in a sense, we are all small, we're prophets in a small P. Because the Spirit has worked in your heart to reveal who Jesus Christ is and what he's done at the cross. You understand what, what Jesus was doing at the cross. Therefore, what happened at Pentecost is that God, in his grace, The church is to be a witness to the world about Jesus and not to keep it to itself. It's like as if that God is raised up into the world. He's raised us up into the world, millions of us, to speak about Jesus Christ. You know, I can't reach your neighbour. I don't even know your neighbour. Never met them. I can't reach your work colleague. Don't know them. I probably will never meet them. But you can. You can't reach my neighbour. You can't reach the neighbours in Gorey. You can't reach the neighbours in Wexford. But you can reach where you are. God knows where he placed you. And he's poured his spirit into you so that you can reach your neighbour. Why? And you might say, well, I'm not one of the leaders in the church. But God has said he's poured out his spirit on all his people. That we would understand and share with others. There's a wonderful verse in Revelation 19.10. It says, For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And yes, leaders, we all have different gifts and we all have different jobs in the church. But if you know Jesus Christ, if God has poured out his spirit into your heart and has opened your eyes and your understanding to what Christ has done at the cross, amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? Well, then God is enabling you. He wants you, the spirit of prophecy is to speak about Jesus Christ. And the one thing that we all have in common, we, we might have different gifts, but all those who belong to Jesus Christ have a story about how Jesus, how their eyes were opened to Jesus Christ. How God opened your eyes that you understood and your story is unique to you. You know, it says that there's um, many roads to Christ but only one way to God and that's through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in this room, many people have come 
from different backgrounds and different ways, from different struggles, from different pains, where chains had to be broken and you needed to be set free. For others, you were brought up in a Christian family and life was easier. But you still needed to understand, you still needed the Spirit to open your eyes and understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So you have a story. Your story is that you realize that there is no human cure for sin. There is no human cure for sin. That we are never will be good enough. And this room is full of good, upstanding citizens of Ireland. But with God's standard, we will never be good enough. And there is no human cure for sin. You understand that the only cure for sin is Jesus Christ and his death on a cross. And if you read the book of Acts, you will find that God has built his church out through all his people. And I find it very interesting in Acts chapter 8 verse 4, it says that God allowed persecution to come to the church and he scattered the church out into the known world. And actually, little verse that says that he didn't scatter the apostles. He scattered the people of God. The ordinary people. And what were they to do? In verse 8, 4, it says, those who have been scattered preached the word wherever they went. What is the word? The word is Jesus Christ. It's the message of our say. What is the, what is the Bible? The Bible from beginning from end speaks about Jesus. So what were they to scatter? The word of testimony in their heart. Who they were and how they come to understand about Jesus. And then in Acts 17 it says that as they, as God scattered them, as they gossiped their testimony about Jesus Christ, all new people, what's changed you? What makes a difference in your life? Well, Jesus makes a difference in my life. And it says, as God scattered them into the known world of that day, Acts 17, 6, 6 says, God turned the world upside down. Not through just the apostles, but to every member in the church. And I say to you, if I brought just the leaders up here this morning and stand them up here, and I say to you, what kind of impact would they have in Wexford? But if I brought all of you up and stood here, what kind of impact can we have on Wexford then? Because God has poured out His Spirit on all people. You see, God, in His grace, has raised His church. And what is the church? It is the people of God. What is meeting here is this is a gym. It doesn't look like a church building. What's in this building is the people of God. So God in his grace has raised this church to be a witness to the world. But why has he done that? Because judgment is coming. And we don't like to hear that, but judgment is coming. And that is the truth. And that's the second thing I want to see. God's judgment is still to come. God's judgment is still to come. Look at verse 30. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, and blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes.
God is warning Israel that they've only suffered small judgment. Israel suffered the plague of locusts because they turned away from God. And God in his mercy and in his love warned them that they were heading on the wrong path. And he calls them back to a self. God's warning are always warnings of love. And so he warned Israel through a plague of locusts to turn back to him. But now everything is grand again. Their fields are full of corn. There's oil in their thing. There's wine flowing. Everything looks great. But Joel says here, he turns around and he reminds them of the day of judgment is still to come. The day of judgment is still to come. And so what's he saying? He's saying don't let the blessings of life, don't let the goodness of God restoring wine and food, that, that life goes on to obscure the reality of God's judgment day to come. That there is a judgment day to come. You know, it's a bit like this. I don't know, this, it's like as if you're a dad and you have young children and you've, you've been left alone to mind the kids where your wife has gone shopping. And you're sitting in the kitchen maybe enjoying a cup of tea or watching a bit of sport. Meanwhile, the kids are playing in the sitting room. You hear an argument break out, so you call out, you call out to the kids, share your toys. And it stops and it all goes quiet for a while. So you go back to your game, you know. Then all of a sudden it starts up again. And you call out again. Someone say sorry. And you just, it quietens down again. So you, you go back to your drinking your tea and watching your sport. And then it flares up again. And with that, daddy, dad has to get up and he has to walk into the sitting room and sort it out. He investigates. He brings his rule to bear. It might involve punishing one, rewarding another. But what's the difference between those two things? The difference is the sec- when he gets up, this time dad was a person in presence, intervening and bringing justice. And a biblical term for this would be called the day of the day of daddy. Now, that's funny. But if we compare that to God's day, it is far too trivial. Because the day of the Lord, God does call to us through instruction, through his word. He is calling warnings out to the world. He has raised us up, his people, God's church, to be a witness that the reality is there is a judgment to come. And so his word speaks of a job. His word speaks of warning, warning, warning. But this day, God will step into history again. And he will personally bring justice. And he will deal with sin. And he will punish sin. And he will also rescue, rescue us. And he will also bring full salvation and vindication as well. It is talking about the day when God turns up to sort everything else. That great day in history when God will sort all rights and will bring justice and sort out all evil. And people need to hear that. I heard in a church recently a pastor had to go to this woman who was raped. And she was raped by someone in a very powerful position who was surrounded by very powerful people in very powerful positions. 
And she was told that she would never have justice in this world. Because these people were too powerful and too protected by the justice system itself. But he was able to say to her that the judge of all the earth sees all things and knows all things. And there is a day coming when all wrongs will be righted and justice will be melted out. And God will see to that. You see, God has promised consistently in his word that he will sort out every injustice and will judge every evil. And God will. Psalm 96.13 says he will judge the world in righteousness and peoples in truth. Romans 2.16 This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. This is also the day that everyone will give an account for how they've lived in God's world. Do you know this morning that you live in God's world? It's not your world, it's God's world. Do you know that the very breath in your body is a gift from God? The very people, the very everything you have is a gift from Him. You live in His world. And we will give an account to God for how we have lived in this world. Hebrews 4.13 says, Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him who we must give an account. You see, God has promised he will not allow a rebellious world to rebel forever. And it's like as if God is calling at the moment from the kitchen, warning through his word, through his people, warning the world. But a day is coming when he will step in to bring judgment and justice. And this tells us that we are all ultimately accountable to God. That sin matters to God. That you're not accountable. We're all accountable to God. He is our creator. He is our God. He is the one that has given us our gifts. He's given us life itself. And we are answerable to him. And this has been a a great reminder to me this week of these last coming weeks. How we live our lives. How we bear testimony to our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, matters to God. Our thoughts matter to God. Our words matter to God. Our actions matter to God. Our pain matters to God. Everything matters to God. You know, so what God is saying, don't let the fact that life is good to push you away from God. We will give an account to Him. It's a bit like this. Last year I went on holidays. I was looking for someone to give me a holiday home and I eventually got one. A friend of mine knew someone else who gave me their holiday home. And so I never met this owner, but the owner of the house gave me his house for two weeks. He sent me an email. And on the email he gave me a list of instructions. He said, put the bin out on Tuesday because my rubbish needs collected Tuesday. He says, you can use anything in the house. He said, there's canoes there, wetsuits, barbecues, everything is for you to use. When you finish the wetsuit, I asked that you'd put them on a hanger and hang them up on the line and let them dry out. I would ask that you'd put the canoe back in its rightful place, put it away properly. I would ask you that you put rubbish away. And also, I, my parents are coming to the house the day after you leave. I can't get down 
to sort out, would you leave the house neat and tidy, please? Otherwise, the house is yours. Do what you please. So, friends of mine got a text from them saying, I'd like to talk to you about Vincent and Grace. They're in the house. And they go, oh, that's all the text said. I said, oh, what have Vincent and Grace done in the house? They were wondering. How did they leave the house? But can you imagine... If I threw the rubbish everywhere, didn't use the bin, just threw it wherever I, wherever I feel, just threw it away. He came back and the, the wetsuits that he kindly gave me, there was a choice of ten of them, all different sizes. The wetsuits were just thrown in the back of the shed, just bundled in the corner, thrown away. The canoes were robbed because I never put them back properly. The barbecue was broken and the TV screen was broken as well. You know, I would have to give an account of my actions to my friends. Why? Because the house is not mine. It is not mine to do what I please. And this world is not ours. It is God's. And it's a gift from Him. All life is a gift from Him. And He has left us instruction in His Word with His Ten Commandments and His Word, how we are to respond and how we are to treat each other. And it matters to God. And if I did those things in the house, I wouldn't receive that house again. I won't tell you how I acted. I'll let you work it out for yourself. And so it is with us. We all have to give an account of our lives in God's world about the way we live in it. God says my day of judgment is still to come and we will have to give an account of how we've lived this life. And the third thing, but meanwhile, before that account comes, you know, Joel 2, 28 to 32 here is really speaking about the first and second coming of our Lord and Jesus Christ. It, but there's a gap in between. You know, it's a bit like if you... Have you ever seen two mountains from a distance? They look together. And then you go and climb the first mountain and you realise that there's a tremendous valley in between. the two. And you thought you might do it in a day. <laughs> but you realise there's this big valley in between before the next mountain that you, you're not going to make the next mountain. And really what between the first and second coming of our Lord and Jesus Christ is this valley. And this is the valley of the grace of God to this world. An opportunity to repent and to turn back to God before he steps into this world to bring judgment and to sort out this world in his second coming. The first time he came, he came to the cross to bear sin that we might be reconciled to him. So how, the final thing I want you to see that in light of this judgment, we must respond to God. And my third point is this, we must respond to God. In Joel, in in chapter 2, verse 11, Joel is asked a question, and he's talked about the day of the Lord. In Joel 2, 11, the Lord thunders at the head of his army, and his forces are beyond number. And mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great, and it is dreadful. Who can endure it? How do we stand in that great and awful day of the Lord? Well, Joel gives us an answer here in verse 32. Did you notice that it tells us that people will escape that day? Verse 30 says that 
Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Not might be saved, will be saved. But that's a great surprise. How can God forgive our rebellion and sin, yet at the same time there's a day of judgment coming, where God does not leave the guilty unpunished? The problem is I know in my heart I'm guilty. I know in my heart that I've sinned. How can I be forgiven? There's a hint in verse 32. It's repeated twice. Jerusalem. It doesn't say Jerusalem twice. It says Jerusalem and then it uses its other name, Zion. Reminding the people then and reminding us today what was in Jerusalem? The temple. The place of sacrifice. Reminding them and us that there must be death for sin. That a lamb died in their place. And that dilemma is answered in the New Testament. When John the Baptist stood and pointed to Jesus Christ, what did he call him? He called him the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what he said. The Lamb. And in Romans chapter 10, where Joel 2.32 is repeated again, in, in 13, everyone who calls on the name Lord will be saved. Paul uses this in Romans 10. And just before Romans 10, 13, he says that Jesus is the Lord. So whoever calls on Jesus, the Lord, will be saved. How are we saved? Because God has brought judgment and his wrath on Jesus Christ. Head a story to say, like sometimes we, we say, oh, we, we can't talk about judgment to the world. We shouldn't really talk about sin. We need to tone it down. We need to talk about love, love all the time. Let me, yes, we need to talk about God's love. But why is God's love so amazing? Why is it so amazing? I mean, if you were on a, on a pier and you had your family and one of your family members ran down the end of the pier and just jumped off a cliff and said, I love you. What, what's that about? But if he did that to save you, and the reason Jesus died is because we are under the judgment of God. Sin will be judged. Sin will be punished. And Jesus Christ has bared the wrath of God. Why? He who had no sin became sin for us. Not because he was sinful. Because we were sinful. And he took our sin and died in our place. And you see, God in his mercy offers us forgiveness through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is secure because it's in him. It's not in me. It's not in the church. It's not in your leaders. But the offer of forgiveness and the offer of salvation is actually in Jesus Christ. And it's God's work and it is God's salvation. Did you notice the end of verse 32? And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. We call. And the Lord calls. And that should give us tremendous hope and security. Because he rescues us. You know, if I'm drowning, I'm in no position to rescue myself. I don't know if you've seen the film The Guardian. 
It's about, if you haven't, it's a very simple plot. It's about lifeguards who go out to the storms at sea in a helicopter to rescue people who have called Mayday. And when they call Mayday in those storms, they are drowning and they're in a desperate situation. They're saying, help, help, my boat is sinking. Come quick, if you don't come, we are going to die. And this is a picture that the Bible gives us what it means to become a Christian. Yes, it involves calling out to Jesus. You call out, but like in the boat, you must realise there is nothing we can do. If I am drowning and in a storm my boat is sinking, I am helpless. must realise there is absolutely nothing I can do. That our sins have separated us from a holy God. And we must cry out to God for mercy. And God must rescue us. And that's why Jesus come. Jesus Christ has come to rescue you. To die on a cross. To pay for our sins. To reconcile us to God. To make peace with God for us. And do you see, because it's God who calls as well, it is God's rescue plan. It is God's rescue that means I'm secure. There's also a scene in that movie in The Guardian where the, the star man, Kevin Cosner, holds on to this person by the hand and he held on to him so long and he said, I will never let you go. That he actually pulled all the tendons out of his shoulder. And there's another scene where his, his, the guy he was passing over the mantle to be the lifeguard, to be the star lifeguard, He's holding him by the hand and he holds the, the old lifeguard and he says, I'll never let you go. And he says, I know you won't. So he cuts, the, he cuts his glove and he drops into the sea. What God is saying is, I'll never let you go. His rescue. He has come to rescue us. And because he has, and because salvation belongs to him, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. In Jesus we are safe. In Jesus you are rescued. Because God says so. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But there is no safe place outside Jesus Christ. Because it also goes on to say, Whoever rejects the Son will not see that life. For what? For God's wrath remains on him. So I want to ask you this morning, have you responded to Jesus Christ? I ask you young people, those who are brought up in a Christian home, who've heard about Jesus, know about Jesus. I'm not asking, are you resting in your parents' faith? I'm asking you, have you responded to Jesus Christ? I'm asking those who maybe have come to church for a while and heard about Jesus, you like Jesus, you like the social aspects of church, and you know that Jesus has died upon a cross, I'm asking you, have you responded to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith? Have you bowed the knee to Jesus Christ? And if not, why not? And if not, why not today? And if you have bowed the knee to Jesus Christ, are you sharing how Jesus has rescued you to your neighbours? Because God is pouring each of us who belong to him a spirit of prophecy 
the testimony of Jesus Christ. You know he's rescued you. Can you imagine the people if they get out of a helicopter and after being rescued and they said, how were you rescued? Well, I suddenly learned how to swim. I did this or did that. And yeah, it was all me. No, they were saved by the lifeguard who risked their life to save them. Tell others. Pray that we would tell others. Pray for each other that we would tell others. In light of the judgment to come. This is not a trivial matter. D-Day judgment is coming. And in light of that, we need to tell others. And you can't rescue them. But you can't tell them about the one who can rescue them. And our only, you know, we'll have done a good job as a church if we've told people about Jesus. It won't be how many people did you get saved. It's not a numbers game. The church job is to tell people about Jesus. It is God's job to save. It's only God that can open blind eyes. It's only God that opens your eyes because he poured his spirit into your heart and opened your eyes to the truth about Jesus. You say, I can't, I'm weak. Let me tell you, we are all weak. Let me tell you that Jonathan, your church, is weak. Let me tell you that Mick is weak. Let me tell you that Andrew is weak. We all fear away from man. We all have times where we don't tell us about Jesus. But here, Joel has reminded us that we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit who enables us and equips us to be able to tell others about Jesus Christ. God in his grace has raised up his church. His church in the world is full of millions. He's raised up an army that he would speak of his grace and his love into this world. And what encouraged me this morning is that we can be small in our own numbers. But I see a little army before me in Wexford. And we all together, indwelt by the Spirit, can make an impact for Wexford. Not just the leaders, but us all. Remember, no one else can reach your neighbour but you. God has specifically put you in that house in that neighborhood, that you might tell them about Jesus. Amen.